Hey, this is John Matalavich with the Human Advancement Podcast, powered by Ruthless Performance. Today, I'm joined by Pottsville Area Swimming and Diving Boys Coach, Ned Hamford, and the team statistician, Josh Zielinski. Um, and what we're going to do today is kind of go over the oral history of the Crimson Tide swimming team from from when it began until the present day. And I'll, I'll just start by saying that at present, we're at an interesting time. We have some good swimmers, and we're also kind of in a bit of some unknown, uncharted territory with uh, with COVID and, and um, just kind of trying to see where things might, might be going into the future. But if nothing else, it seems like a good time to kind of look back on the past and, and see where we might be heading to in the future. So I'll just open the floor to you fine fellows and just... Um, where, where do we start? Where does the story start, Coach? Well, the, the story starts when March Hall and the middle school were completed back in 1970, spring of 70. And then the middle school was occupied in the fall of 1970, and that's when the pool and March Hall actually opened up. And swimming didn't occur as a, a varsity sport until uh, 72, 73, the girls team actually started in 72 and the boys team a, a year later. And with that, Potsdam was looking for a league to compete in for swimming, high school swimming and diving. There was no local league for both boys and girls. Now, at the time, there was a league for girls but that disbanded in the mid-70s. It was called the Anthracite Swim League. Panther Valley, Tamaqua, uh, Pottsville, Schuylkill Haven, and Hazleton, I think, were in that league. But that disbanded in the mid-70s. So Pottsville at the time was competing in the East Penn League in both basketball and track and field. So Pottsville uh, immediately joined the East Penn League swimming and diving portion. Interesting. And so that, what what range does that East Penn League make up? Well, um, when we first joined and probably through the 1970s, it was Easton, Bethlehem Liberty, Bethlehem Freedom, Allentown Allen, Allentown Deeriff, uh, Parkland, uh, Northampton, Emmaus, uh, Whitehall, Phillipsburg, New Jersey, and the Alaska of the East Penn League, Pottsville. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're connected, but I don't know by what. Um, so that, that's interesting. Um, so I guess we're kind of going to be going all over the place here because some things make sense to kind of talk about um, across the span from then till now. But also I'd kind of like the through line here to be kind of one year, almost day by day, kind of getting us from then till now. So um, how, I guess, in the, the first thing we really need to get to is, is where do you come into the sport? How do you how do you find yourself with Pottsville Area Swimming and Diving? Okay, um, it was about the fifth year of the team, and I will say that this is eh, in the 1977 range when uh, – uh, Five different coaches. It was like the uh, revolving door at Macy's, you know, a different coach every year. And then at that time, I was hired as a phys ed teacher and uh, assistant football coach. And oh, by the way, you have a background in swimming. 
how about you coach the boys swim team? And that's when it started for me. So I coached football and swimming uh, until about 1982. And then it was time to make a decision, either give, give up one sport and become uh, a head coach uh, in football or stay with swimming. And I chose to stay with swimming. I had more fun swimming. Uh, a lot of experience in football, obviously. I had a, an opportunity to coach on the collegiate level before I left East Stroudsburg. Played there for four years. So I had a lot of football experience. Came back and coached with Bill Flynn for about seven years. And then at that point in time, I wanted to put all my efforts into swimming. I think one of the reasons I, just even from a personal perspective, enjoyed the program so much was probably because of your background in football, whereas most coaches in swimming come at it from more of an endurance perspective, be it cross country or track or whatever, um, more long distance events. So how, how do you feel as though you were impacted by your football experience as it relates to your career in swimming? Well, you know, you draw on your own experiences as an athlete and that forms your perspective uh, in coaching. Now, my background was uh, team sports, with the exception of track and field. Uh, and so my viewpoint was heavily influenced by football. And uh, little by little, that phased out. Uh, but we always had a strong team concept at Pottsville and swimming, and that comes from the football background. Yeah, because I, I guess a lot of people would consider it more of an, an individual sport, but you know, the points are made in the relays as well. So you had said that you had a bag, you had background in swimming when you came in in 77. What was that background? In 1974, I was a lifeguard at <laughs> JFK Pool. And at the time, I had just taken a, an aquatics course at East Stroudsburg. So I was a certified lifeguard, lifeguard at JFK, had taken an aquatics course at uh, East Stroudsburg. And... The H group team, the JFK H group team, was in need of a head coach. So uh, kids start, you know, asking. Actually, they're bugging me more than I, I say, hey, I'm not a swim coach. I'm a football coach. Can't do it. So little by little, the parents are sending the little kids over to the stand, climbing up on the stand. Would you please be our coach? If we don't have a coach, we're not going to have a team. You know, and it was just all these little girls and guys coming over. So I was like, okay, okay, I'll do it. No idea what I'm doing, but I'm, I'm going to do it. So I learned a lot. I learned a lot from the kids, learned a lot from uh, parents and some of the other lifeguards. And it was kind of fun. It was different. So 1974, 1975, 1976, I'm coaching the JFK swim team, and I'm learning as I'm going. So it just happened. Timing is everything. The uh, job opens at the middle school for phys ed, and swimming coach still along with it. What What was your biggest surprise kind of coming from football to swimming in terms of what, what the athletes are that you're dealing with and um, that early on experience? Well, there's a def definitely a different mindset. I mean, swimmers are – uh, very regimented, very disciplined kids by nature of the sport, swimming up and down a pool, staring at a black line, very disciplined, maybe a little more cerebral because if you look at the GPAs, the GPAs don't lie to you. You know, they, they show a trend, not saying that 
football players, you know, don't do well in the classroom. That's there are some football players who do excellent in the classroom, but the swimmers were always. Um, and we used to have a competition at Potsdam High School where we took the teams and we had their average GPAs and 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 the swim team uh, was always near the top of that list. So in that regard, um, they're not as rough and tumble, you know. I, I won't say physically uh, different. They're they're bigger, stronger in certain ways, but the swimmers are very well conditioned and very strong as well. Yeah, but it's just a more of a personality, more aggressive kid you'll see on the football field and more of a cerebral kind of a kid in the pool. That makes sense. So then 77, you start coaching at the high school level. So at that point, you know, the program is in existence for five years. So conceivably, there's already kids that have gone through the program from freshman, sophomore, junior and senior year. So there's kids that are there four years and you're just kind of starting and you're coming in as this football coach. How was that received by some of the older kids and, and what was the makeup of that, of your first team? Well, most of the kids that swam at that time swam in the summer, either at JFK or at Ivyside. And that was a nice rivalry as well, you know, inner city rivalry. So I knew most of the kids. There are a couple of kids who only swam in the summer in the winter and I got to know them relatively quickly and we had we had some nice swimmers with some good experience however once again we're competing in the east penn league east penn league has very solid swimming programs and a huge summer age group uh developmental program in the lehigh valley so you know we're we're up against it <laughs> and uh, size of the school uh, I think at the time, maybe maybe Phillipsburg was our size and maybe Whitehall was our size. Saucon Valley was a little smaller. The rest of the schools were much, much bigger. And there's no double-A, triple-A distinction at that point? All one. It was all one classification until the early 90s. Yeah. So what, what were the... Uh... What were the athletes like? Do you remember any of the, those first couple years of athletes, those swimmers? or Our kids? Yep. Uh, like I said, most of them swam in the summer. You know, oh, uh, yep. And uh, they were good kids, good students, you know, and uh, good citizens for the most part, you know. And, uh, you know, back then you hopped on a bus at about a quarter after one and you headed down the Lehigh Valley to one of the schools where it was Allentown, East, and Bethlehem. And you had your meat and packed up. And actually, on your way out of town, we would stop for subs. We would order subs for the kids at Messina's Sub Shop, which is no more at the corner of 7th and Laurel. We'd pick up our subs and uh, iced tea, jungle juice, all, all those kind of things. One day, and I'm not sure of the year, let's say it was 1979, 1980, real cold day. We go down to Bethlehem Freedom. Bethlehem Freedom is located outside of town, flat area. Wind was howling. It was about five degrees, man. It was cold. We ran from the bus to the pool and we left the subs on the bus. Unfortunately, when we got back to the bus, the, the subs on the ride home, they were frozen, frozen, solid. And we're trying to put the subs by the, the heating vents on the bus to loosen them up a little bit. I remember picking up 
a tomato out of my sub, and it reminded of one of those discs on, on an air hockey table. That's I mean, it, not a whole lot of flavor to a, a frozen sub. It's, it's, it speaks to an interesting point about the fact that I, I, I don't know other states, but here in Pennsylvania, it's a winter sport, oddly enough, which doesn't seem like it, it should be the case, but, but I guess that's just the state of things. So you're you're down in the uh, in this East Penn League, uh, which the teams down there are still pretty dominant. And like you said, we're up here in the Alaska of the league, um, probably not doing too well. But what can you speak to some of the early successes of the team, where you kind of realize that maybe you're on to something, or or maybe the team has has a fighting chance at at kind of making an impression down here in this pretty competitive league. Well, we're trying to come up with a, a, a training program that not only fits our program, but fits the uh, personality of our kids. And we were going morning practices, afternoon practices. We were pounding a lot of yards. And in talking to a lot of those coaches down in Lehigh Valley, they, they were big believers in, uh, as, you know, throughout the country, that was it. The, you know, the harder you work, the more yards you got in, the better you were going to be, which... Obviously, we've learned a lot from that, but we we got to the point where our, our kids are worn out. They're falling asleep in school. They're getting sick easier because they're worn down. I said, there's got to be a better way. And we started researching some different. The Dr. David Salo, for example, who was probably the, the first guy to uh, advocate high intensity, lower yardage workouts. And I remember the swimming community just characterized him as, uh, you know, this guy's blaspheming what we hold dear. And this guy's a snake oil salesman. You can't uh, be successful doing what he's advocating. And uh, a few short years later, he produced some Olympians and then, people started to warm up to his training habits. And we jumped on that uh, bus fairly early and had success. And actually, that was the success that really uh, propelled us to our first runner-up uh, AAA uh, place at Districts. And that was a big uh, shock to the East Penn League. You know? And we didn't have that many kids on the team. But we had the kids we had were tough and we did very well. That was 1989. I would like to have, at some point, a standalone episode, even just where we kind of talk about uh, the high yardage versus high intensity training. Um, but it it makes sense how a team could get away with higher yardage programming when there's an unlimited supply of athletes to kind of fill any kind of vacant seats created by injuries or athletes succumbing to sickness or illness or whatever. But when you're limited on athletes that are entering the program, you can't really get away with just, you know, crushing everybody and just letting things fall where they may. One size does not fit all, especially when you, you have some swimmers that are sprinters, some swimmers are distance swimmers, have them all doing the same thing. Yeah, go ahead, get the track sprinters for the United States and see if they're going to do the training methods of the mid-distance runners. Oh, they'll laugh you right off the track. So why is it different in swimming? You have to address the energy needs and break down the event 
and be as specific as you can. Sprinters need to sprint. Could you imagine telling Carl Lewis, okay, we're going to do six uh, 800s today uh, on a 30-second rest? <laughs> I don't think so. And that's when, when you uh, address the sport from that viewpoint, you say to yourself, no, we've got to specialize in certain areas. I, I think what's remarkable to that, too, is not only that you're building the athletes better for the sport, but even from a pragmatic standpoint, you're going to get more points just being better at a 50 or a 100 as opposed to a 200 because you have the addition of the relays. Uh, you look at the high school menu of events. It's, it's a sprint menu. You have a mid-distance IM and a mid-distance 200 and the 500 free, and everything else is a sprint. Yet there are a lot of teams who just do not address that. And uh, I think you're you're cheating. And, and, uh, and of course, one of the things you'll hear from coaches, no, you have to have a well-rounded swimmer, swimmer that can swim a 500 and so on and so forth so he can swim in college. Time out. Not many kids swim in college okay you're not your job is not to prepare kids for college in general there are kids who need that training for that opportunity to swim in college but you look at raw numbers there aren't that many kids who go on and swim in college the kids who want to go on you can prepare them you can do that but don't base your entire program on we are a feeder system for the college because that's ludicrous so you said about um, a runner-up finish in the league at the district. Oh, at the district meet. Yeah. What what year was that? Eighty nine. Nineteen eighty nine. Oh, okay. Um, what was the first year that you had anyone competing at the state meet? Um, I'd say nineteen eighty six uh, for the boys. Now the girls in the early seventies had. Uh, three girls that jump out. Uh, let me see. Cindy Marley, Pam Price, Karen Heller, all made it to the state meet back in the in the early and uh, mid seventies. And back then, uh, if you were a district champ, you had an automatic berth. And in some districts, you got a second swimmer, and that's how we got uh, at least one of our swimmers out there. And so the girls had representation before the boys at the state meet. First boy was 86, John Grabuski, in the sprint freestyle. Interesting. Um, so that that's right around the time where we actually start seeing some, some records on the boards that are still there till this day. So um, I'd be curious just to kind of have you go in, into some detail and and Josh, you could jump in on this too, because I know you're you're definitely the numbers guy here. But um, what what could you say? What, how could you speak to that team in terms of either numbers or, or those athletes or or what what gave them the '89 team was, was special because we were now moving away from traditional and doing some experimental training. But those kids were competitive in age group swimming at JFK and Ivyside at eight, nine years old. So they were getting the uh, experience that the Lehigh Valley kids were getting. And then for a short period of time, we had a USA 
age group program that practiced out of the IU pool. So they were getting some now year round training. And later that program folded. But the, those kids uh, in the 89 and 90 era had that experience. And that was a, that was invaluable. So we were able to have uh, experienced kids swimming almost year round. And was that still prior to the double A, triple A yeah. split? With the coaches association back in 88 and 89, pushing hard for a separation of the one classification into a double A and triple A. So what they did in 88 and 89, they took all the place winners and they separated them by uh, enrollment. And at the time, we would have been in a double A enrollment as opposed to a triple A. And it was later in the next year or two that St. Clair became part of Pottsville. And those numbers bumped us up into triple A. And then they came out with the two classification, but we were triple A because of the St. Clair students. Uh, had that not happened, all those teams that followed would have been double A and instead of you know competing at the higher level which was very difficult but um when they had that uh back in 88 and 89 when they the come when the when the coaches association had uh, a mythical double a triple a meet separating them which was the forerunner of double a triple a a few years later Pottsville would have finished sixth one year and second uh, the, the year later. But that was only mythical, like uh, a pole, for example, in football. By the time the AA and AAA came out, we were already up in numbers because of the St. Clair uh, High School uh, absorption that, that took place. And we stayed there until relatively recently uh, in the last 10, 12 years where now our enrollment has decreased and now we're double A. Yeah, I remember even when I swam, it was, I think double A, then triple A, then double. Yeah, we bounced up weird. and down. Yeah. One year you were double A, the next year you were triple A. I, yeah. I remember that senior year you were triple uh, A, junior year you were double A, and we were right on that bubble, but now we're well below it. Um, can you speak to some of, I mean, you know, each team obviously is going to have some adversity or some, some strengths behind it, but either from a geographical perspective or, or from whatever angle you'd like to take, what, what has been the biggest issues with possible swimming in terms of, um, just problems for the team, um, besides competition, obviously, what, what makes, what makes it tough for there to be a good team at Pottsville and additionally what what gives us some strength as well okay uh, now I taught phys ed in the middle school for 16 years and uh, I had fifth and sixth grade phys ed so we go out after uh, weighing and measuring all the kids up in the locker room we go down the floor and I'm assigning seats for attendance you know I'm sitting with their legs crossed like little Indians there in fifth grade okay and it's alphabetical so you can take attendance quickly and the kids aren't even looking at me 
they are just gazing off and taking in the majesty of March Hall, this huge arena that maybe they got to see a basketball game in, in the bleachers, and now they're sitting on the floor of March Hall. And almost every kid to a, uh, an individual are you can see them dreaming of someday being a basketball player and playing in March Hall, which is, I mean, it's a heck of an arena. And, you know, kids are going to daydream and that they're going to put themselves in that situation. The problem is not everybody can be a basketball player. Only five guys can represent a, a team at a time on the floor. And we have a very strong bitty basketball and junior high basketball. And kids, you know, really have a great opportunity to try out the sports to see if they like it. That's that's hard to overcome in the pool. <laughs> yeah. uh, the good good thing back then is um, in phys ed, every other week you went to the pool. So we could introduce kids to swimming, uh, do some races instruct on some drills and skills and a little bit of competition. And I was able to, you know, keep the fire burning by getting some kids out. The problem is uh, we didn't have a very competitive summer league, but year by, uh, by the time years had gone on, it kind of eroded. The outdoor pools were no longer offering teams like JFK and Ivy side and, it's it, the summer swim league had just kind of drifted away a bit. Uh, we did start a winter team, a winter league for younger kids back in 86. And initially the numbers were quite high, but it's of the last couple of years, they have fallen off as well. But the biggest problem I think of, at, at Pottsville right now with regard to swimming is Phys ed classes no longer go to the pool. And that's a couple of years now. And that has already, I can see, that has really affected our turnout uh, very adversely. Uh, our team this year right now is sitting at 10 swimmers, and that's the fewest we've ever had since uh, the building was built. It's, it's interesting just to go a couple steps back here, but with the whole, with the idea of Martal kind of not necessarily being a deterrent, but kind of pulling some people away that might otherwise be swimmers. Um, because we we actually have a pretty nice pool. I mean, an eight right. lane practice, eight, yeah. eight lanes of practice, six lanes for competition. But and then um, even the disconnected uh, seating area, uh, I think it makes for a pretty nice swimming experience. Absolutely, no question about it. And uh, it's just if you can get the kids there. You might be able to get them hooked, but the, the truth of the matter is the majority of the kids who swim on our high school team, for the boys anyway, come into high school with no swimming experience. The, uh, at least 60% of our kids on this year's team uh, came out as a freshman or a sophomore or even as a junior, come out for the team. And if you can imagine how successful would the other sports at Potts will be if they were relying on kids for their first experience in high school. I mean, it. Yeah. It, I mean, it'd be almost impossible. And competing at a, a varsity level at that too. Yeah. I mean, there's no JV meets. There's no yeah. freshman meets. And we're coming off some of our most successful high school 
teams. Uh, two years ago, we had uh, five all-state swimmers, a few honorable mention. The year before that, we won the district championship and had some honorable mention all-state swimmers. Last year, we didn't have uh, the meet, but we had a kid who was seated in the top eight for the uh, district meet. And it's you not like... Six, pardon me? You mean state meet. State meet. And it's not like, uh, you know, success necessarily breeds success because we're down to 10 boys. I mean, three years ago, we had 27 boys. The year before that, we had 25. The year before that, we had 26. And, you know, part of it's the pandemic, you know. Part of it is the fact that our kids just aren't exposed to the pool in middle school. So we, we kind of, from a chronological perspective, we got from the origin of the team through your coaching, and then um, we kind of made the transition up to the point where, where you transitioned away from a more traditional training uh, methodology into a higher intensity race pace training style right. um, in the late 80s and early 90s. So um, could you speak a little bit about the team throughout the 90s, what what you're kind of experiencing at that point? Well, we, we started the Schuylkill League late, you know, took a little push to get the Schuylkill League in general to get on board. But after some lobbying, we were able to include swimming into the under the umbrella of the Schuylkill League. And so uh, in 1990, we had our first uh, league competition where we crowned a champion and we had an all-league meet an individual uh meet for kids from throughout the league because the the league champion as a team doesn't have any bearing on the league meet itself. no the league meet is individual and relay based and the league championship goes to the best dual meet so you can have the best dual meet team but not necessarily be the best at uh, if we score the league meet. I remember one year our girls won the league meet but did not win the dual meet uh, league championship. And so uh, during that time from 1990 until now, our boys have won 23 of the 31 uh, titles. And uh, the girls have won, I believe, six, possibly seven. And uh, it's been uh, basically the, the girls, it, it's been, uh, there, there's more uh, competition bet between the girls. The guys, it's, it's basically come down to Pottsville, Blue Mountain lately, and a little bit of Tamaqua along the way. And uh, so we, uh, we still swim in the Schuylkill League, have a few uh, exhibition meets, but our focus is the District 11 meet. Uh, at what point did the water polo team come into being? I mean, I, I recognize it's not necessarily the swim team, but it is a means to kind of keep engagement high outside of the swim season. Well, as the summer recreational swim league began to tail off, to, I was talking to some coaches around the state, and they encouraged me to start the water polo team in 1994. And we did, and it's a great opportunity to get kids in the water and in a different matter, not just training and doing yards, but playing a ball sport, which is pretty exciting. And we were, we were fairly competitive 
with low numbers because we're going up against volleyball, which is a big draw at Pottsville, football, which is a big draw at Pottsville, uh, soccer, which is a big draw, both boys and girls. And we're still able to, you know, uh, put together a very representative group in water polo, uh, although the numbers were low. But then the water polo team was phased out three years ago, four years ago. And that has also has hurt us because we always picked up a few kids on the swim team because they were involved in the water polo. So there are some things happening that are out of our control that are affecting our numbers. So um, just kind of back to the back to the 90s, I guess. What um, what else is going on in that time period? Well, we 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 said goodbye to uh, some of the early record holders. Uh, and uh, that group in 88, 89, and 90, uh, we, we maintained fairly well. We, we had high numbers. We were able to compete strongly in East Penn League. And then rather than compete in two leagues, we left the East Penn League and then just solely uh, were involved in the Schuylkill League. And then we, we got a, a group of kids uh, the Grabowski brothers, both Chris and Keith, uh, came through and they were able to bring along with them some friends and some strong relays, uh, Luke Bellino, uh, Nick Watt, uh, Mark DePauli, Alex Dragovich. There were, there were some individuals to go along with the Grabowski brothers. Chris Grabowski was our first state champion. So... Uh, when year was that? That you're you're talking 88, 89, or I'm sorry, 98, 99, 2000, uh, and we were able to, uh, you know, really put some good marks together. So the first group comes by with Seth Diamond, Ed Padinsky, Bill Godalunas, uh Mark Brilla, Scott Zimmerman. Uh, we had some uh, we had some really uh, talented kids and, and that stayed around even after they left and they helped bridge the gap and then 10 years later the the other group came in and uh, that's that's how we were able to really put some good marks up on the board but like I say the, the last 10 years the age group locally in the summer and the, the age group for kids just numbers are going down people are leaving the area that's one of the big things uh, i hate to say it in Schuylkill county in our region but there's so many families that are leaving for opportunities employment wise out of the area and it's you know yeah it's it's tough you can have the best swim program in the world but i mean if the um if the economics of the whole area aren't such that it attracts people willing to put in the time yeah or into, into the area and the investment into the area it's, it's tough um, it's tough to continue that and then I mean you even kind of see that from a financial perspective with the sport as well I mean um, be it tech suits or be it some of these summer leagues or uh, even training outside of that like what I do I mean ultimately um, for better or worse it, it comes down to finances which which it I don't think is something just related to swimming but i mean you're you are looking at even pool maintenance costs and everything like that i mean there's there's this huge underlying financial element to it that's that's kind of overlooked in terms of swimming well now oddly enough 
the there's a classification of sports known as the country club sports. You're talking about tennis and golf and swimming. Swimming is considered a country club sport. In the summer, kids swim at the pool. In the Reading area and the Allentown area, there's a huge network of leagues and and teams. Not that way up in here. The so socioeconomics are not the same. The advantage goes to those pools and those areas. We're constantly trying to get kids involved in the sport, but until they're in high school, we really can't hook them. Right here, Josh Zielinski, our man, who knows more about swim times than most computers. Anyway, <laughs> we get him freshman year. Yeah. He's in the way. Well, you tell the story. You All right. So I was, in, I was a golfer. My whole life growing up, I played golf. I went through their our golf league, and that was the golf feeder system. They had a summer league. And I wanted to do something in the winter. I had nothing to do. I was bored. So I was practicing basketball for a little bit, and and I was in the weight room. And Dan pulls me to side, or the, the athletic trainer, and I he introduced me to Coach Hanford. And he goes, you're going to be a swimmer. I'm like, okay. I had, no, I had, nothing, I had no clue what it was and tell you what i might have been one of the worst swimmers in possible history when i started and, and now I, your name's on the board and now my name's on the board absolutely and it was part of the 2000 a big part of the 2018 district 11 champions which was a very unique set of kids going by what we were saying and that year i think only two or three swimmers had prior swimming experience so we build a, t a District 11 championship team from kids pretty much off the street, basically. Yeah, that, that, even from a, from a numbers perspective, that's interesting. If you were to look at some of the, uh, I don't even know if it's still the East Penn League, but if you were to look at some of those teams, if you were to look at the combined experience of those swimmers, I mean, centuries. You have literally over 100 years of experience on, on some of these teams. Right, exactly. Yeah. And... You know, Z makes a really good point because, yeah, um, it was a very unique team and they didn't have the experience, but they had camaraderie. They, they were they were good leaders. They were good teammates. And we were able to overcome a whole lot and were very successful for years. I described our swim team like the Continental Army under George Washington. They were not experienced uh, fighters or troops. They were millers and uh, blacksmiths and preachers that picked up a gun to fight the Redcoats and defend the country. And that's how I always viewed our kids compared to the kids who came in from the Lehigh Valley with all this youth experience. And that's a very good point. And that year we had a big, big pressure of trying to this was our we as a team a lot of the kids wanted to swim not for ourselves we wanted to swim to give coach uh, finally give him a district title that he deserved all his years of all this hard work he's done for us is that your first just yeah yeah wow. i didn't know that well yeah, we, we were triple a all the time exactly uh, going up again we had 20 of them yeah you yeah. know we were just over the limit yeah the smallest rung of the ladder of AAA always. And then finally, we were able to get into the AA situation. And, but there were some darn good teams that went before that didn't have that chance. Hey, John, as a senior, you didn't have the chance to swim AA. 
guys would have been top three. I scored out the meat already. <laughs> yeah, you guys would have been finished third. You guys would have finished behind Salisbury and Southern Lehigh, which both of them were top teams in the state, and Salisbury won a state title, for, yeah. for goodness sake. But that year, ACC's coming off of back-to-back-to-back district titles. Or is it? Yeah, it was back-to-back-to-back. So they're they're coming in high. They lost some seniors, but they had a lot of good kids returning, and they got some good freshmen. But we had a very strong senior class. We had 17 kids at the district meet. 16 out of 17 kids scored at the district meet for us, including three divers. So and I, I was looking at the board today, the the ones that say like the, the district and the league yeah. titles and that, and it did say 2018. Yeah, that's all. I didn't, but I didn't. I never put two and two together. That was the only district. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, we've been uh, runner-ups twice: one AAA, one AA, and unfortunately, uh, a lot of our really good teams finished in the top four, the top five at the AAA meet, which easily would have won the AA meet. And we were really competing at a higher level than our enrollment and our experience. But that's what we were used to. Um, and I'm sure we'll come, we'll kind of come back to the past couple of years you know, with, with your experience more. But now, um, so we kind of got through the '90s, um, and then we're kind of at, at the, the new millennium with uh, 2000 and kind of up through 2010. What? Um, so I guess one of the things I would like to kind of cover in this era of swimming would be. Uh, like the tech suit era, I think just from a cultural perspective in swimming, I think that had a lot to do with, um, with swimming, be it times or just even Michael Phelps interest in the sport, um, altogether. So maybe we could start early two thousands and just kind of walk through the two thousands. Yeah. Through, through the two thousands, we actually were very successful. Uh, we're clipping at about 90, uh, percent winning percentage in dual meets, not just in the in the Schuylkill League, but we we maintained uh, some very strong dual meets outside, and uh, uh, of course we uh, won quite a few titles and uh, here locally. But uh, Z, how about recently we went up against Liberty, which was one of the big uh, schools. Yeah. how we did in that meet. We beat them. In my, we beat them my senior year. We they had they broke three or four pool records. The team broke four pool records. Almost wow. broke five. Their their but, uh, butterfly almost broke the hundred fly, and we we beat them just because we had so much depth. Our depth just we beat them because we came into that meet really hungry to beat them. Because it was a different style meet, it was a cool, and it was the best um, strategy that probably probably one of the top three best strategies that coach came up with was score that meet that way because that was the way we were going to beat Bethlehem Liberty. I would like to get into that, but could we just for a lay audience kind of talk about how a swim meet is scored? Because I mean, conceivably you could win every single individual event and still lose a dual right. meet. It's, it's not like track. Track is three-place scoring, 5-3-1. You win events, you're going to win the meet. And the relays are 5-0. In swimming, you score five places. So 
uh, it goes six, four, three, two, one. You could have uh, a team get first and fifth and get outscored by a team who goes second, third, and fourth. And we did that many times because of our depth. Happened my freshman year as well. I remember it was one of our team that got the title back after a couple of years of Blue Mountain dominating. And I remember that meet. I wasn't good yet, but I remember watching, sit and watch that meet. I think we only won like two events or two or three events, but we scored a lot of two, three, four, two, three, fives. And, and you get in those extra two points in the relay is big as well. So it's, it's a more of a team concept when it comes to scoring and in swimming as opposed to track. This is, so I, I, this is interesting because, and one of the things that I think is really different about swimming is you could go into a season, if you have the meet schedule in front of you, you could, and you know you have enough information about the other teams, you can almost score out your entire season and before the season even started. I say that to people, and they kind of look at me like I have two heads, because other sports, that you can't do that. You can't do that in basketball. You can't do that in football. You can't do that in baseball or volleyball. But in track, to a degree, but especially swimming, you can, if you know what you're doing, and there's nobody better at that than this guy across the table, Josh Zelensky, <laughs> who, like I said, his mind operates like a computer. And we rely on him very heavy because of his knowledge of not just our team, but of all the teams in our area, in our district, in the state. So can we go now with kind of, now that we've bridged that gap, can we go into detail about how the, um, what the strategy was for, for that Liberty meet? Liberty meet, we, and what year was this? This was 2018. Okay. This was actually 2000, it was before the new year. So it was 2007, it was in December of 2017. The normal meet, there's 12 events, correct? 200 medley, 200 free, the IM, the 50 free, diving, 100 fly, 100 free, 500 free, 200 free relay, 100 back, 100 breast, 400 free relay. We added a few extra events. We added the, the four medley. Did we have 50s of strokes? Yeah, in that? we had 50s of strokes. And we had the 50s of strokes. And we added a 400 medley and 100 IM. So we it was almost like a glorified league meet with, the four, with an extra relay. And... We we spread out our good kids, so we were trying to get to either if we knew we weren't going to win the event, we were going to make sure we got second, third, at least second and third. We spread it out, and the point score, we scored top eight, and that was big. We scored top eight, so it was very important picking up. And some actually, some of our events, our kids beat some of their top kids. I beat their, the kid who swam the 200 who was he was a, a decent swimmer and I, I I beat him out so that all added up we ended up winning the meet which honestly if we would not have won the meet if we didn't do it that way yeah and they have notoriously the biggest squad in the Lehigh Valley yeah uh, I mean they come with two buses and they they have just uh, over eighty kids in their program so we added more events. We want to give more kids a chance to swim. We had it with with that number of kids. Uh, you had to spread the meat out. You had to have more events, and and it was early in the season. It gave the younger kids a chance to swim at fifty as opposed to a hundred. 
a 100 IM as opposed to a 200 IM. And we were able to spread it but by spreading our kids out. And the big thing is we, we swam well that day. We, we were ready to, to go after uh, Liberty because that was a heck of a challenge. And there was nobody more surprised when the meet was over. They handed me the uh, team score and the results. I, I thought, wow, what a great accomplishment this was. We, we, I, we thought we weren't going to have a perfect season. We ended up going undefeated that year. We yeah, did not wow. think we'd have a perfect season because we thought we'd go 13-1. and one. And even in that meet, we still were very hesitant. And halfway through the meet, Coach Johnson put up the, the, the score up on the board, and we were pumped. We were so pumped. I We, we couldn't believe the team went out to eat. The boys' team all went out to eat after that at Palermo's. I remember that. We were so excited that we couldn't believe we just beat Bethlehem Liberty. One of the biggest. And they finished top five in the state that year. Triple A. And Triple A. In the um, state. They're a very legitimate program, great coaching. But, you know, when, when you have a team that is that committed to each other and committed uh, as a group, good things are going to happen. And they were in the right place at the right time, and they competed. They supported each other. And you, you can't put a, a, a number or a, or time or a figure on that. And that's why they were – so successful. Wow. Um, so we jumped jumped ahead again, but let's go. Let's let's talk. I let's talk uh, or try to get into uh, the tech suit era a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Um, did Pottsville see a big? Did Pottsville really see any kind of gain from the tech suits? Um, we we had some kids, and unfortunately, price price of suits. Yep. Uh, limits our our team a little bit more than other teams because we are not the country club school district like some in the district 11. I mean when you're talking to Mayus and Parkland and Whitehall and Nazareth and Saucon Valley and Schuylkill Valley there's some very affluent areas and some very affluent families and we're trying to keep our costs down as much as we can. And, you know, it's a strain on some families. But, you know, the, with the tech suit comes results. There's no question. That's why some have been outlawed, because they aided in buoyancy and made you faster. And But it's nothing for a kid to drop 600 bucks in some areas for a tech suit, for a meat that they're going to wear it for three days as opposed to possible kids who are mostly coming from families that don't have the resources to match that. That at that price range, especially at that time when you're talking full body suits, that could be, you're talking about more, the depreciation on that is greater than a dollar per second. Yep. And 2009, that was the big, when at the, at the um, World Championship Games, when there were, I think there were eight world records broken at that meet, and that's when everybody had to go buy. In 2008, 2009, everybody had to go out and buy these suits. It don't matter who, everybody wanted this suit. It's like if you're a, um, uh, a um, football player, and you got to get these cleats, even though they're $300, but your feet stick in the ground like it's a, like it's a hammer and a nail. You know, that was the big push at that time, and then they outlawed it because you pretty much floated on top of the water. Yeah. 
Yeah, I remember I had I had utilized the tech suit prior to me being really a great swimmer, uh, uh, as much as I would consider myself one, I guess. You were but very good. It was like, I think maybe my sophomore year, I had utilized a full leg suit from Tier, and that was, I, I mean, it wasn't a remarkable time by any stretch of the imagination. I, I mean, I still have that suit somewhere, but I th- think it was like a 24-33 that year at the district meet. It's so dry rot it now. I don't know. I was gonna I was gonna pull it out for that 500 we had. <laughs> I'm I'm glad yeah. we didn't because then uh, because now Zadian can't say that the only reason I won was because of the tech suit. Yeah. <laughs> no, that was Zach. Oh you yeah. Zach yeah. had that race. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um. But uh, okay, so that's that's the 2000s, and then we start kind of moving into the 2010s. Um, yeah, I, I was in that time period, I guess, with, like I said, like immediately post-tech suit, um, which is kind of how I got to where I am now in terms of doing strength conditioning and human performance work is just because of, obviously, outside of the program, just the value I saw in, in strength conditioning and, and strength training. I mean, I was training like an idiot outside of the pool, but I mean, for me to be doing things as poorly constructed as I was and to still see the results... I knew that ultimately there's there's a lot of validity to the value in strength training for swimmers, um, especially if you're doing it in the right manner. Well, the more pressure you can apply to the water by your hand and arm, the better you're going to swim, the faster you're going to swim. So strength is extremely important in swimming. A good streamline. Okay, so if you're carrying 20 extra pounds of body fat, not a good thing. The water is uh, is very tough. So you can't slip through water if, if you're not hydrodynamic. Uh, swimming is like running on a field of jello into the face of a hurricane. And you had better make yourself as hydrodynamic as you possibly can. One of my favorite analogies. I remember that from swimming. I don't know if you remember that from when you were in the program. Yeah. Well, he said he's had that for a, oh, a while. That's one of my favorite. And then, uh, and then we so we kind of move post my generation into um, I guess the few years I was away. So that is between my swim career and when I started doing the dryland training. So that's what 2012 to 2018. Yep. And my senior year was the last year that we had um, Coach Lots. He was our strength, strength yeah. and conditioning coordinator, and then you took over after in 2019. Yeah, that makes sense. That yeah, I, I had um, that was another thing that kind of transitioned in while I was there um, was Coach Lots. So he, I don't think he was there my sophomore year. I could be wrong about that, but I know one, maybe two years of, of my training, he was there, which, I mean, it was helpful. I still would refer to him as my strength and conditioning coach or the only person I would have in that capacity. Right. Um, all right. So then, so then we kind of get up to, we get up to recently then, I mean, when we're talking about um, 2018 is the district. Um, and then after the district meet or after that year, then we start with some of the athletes that we have now, 
Um, and I think it's it's pretty wild that he hasn't even really been brought up to this point in this conversation just because of how uh, what a good athlete he, he is uh, for the team, and that's that's Zadian. Um, so that's kind of where we're at now. So so can you kind of just talk about the the past year or two or even three years in the, in the program? Well, the, the la- I would say the last four years go back to uh, once the – district championship team moved on Josh's senior year. That was that that was a real highlight for us. We got kids out to states. We we won the district championship and it was it was really exciting. Some of those kids had very little <laughs> experience at all. So now we lose a big group of kids, but we had some kids who could still go. Uh Zach Ternitza who set school records uh, Jordan Young, Evan Lesher. Um, we had Caleb Breedy, who was a, 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 a butterflyer. And we were able to get kids out to states again. Only this time, we, we got two relay teams to finish in the top eight. And that scored a load of points. And uh, Zach Ternitza was able to... Uh, make All-State first team in backstroke and almost made first team All-State tied in 53. And we finished eighth as a team at the state meet after the year before being District 11 champs. Last year, we sent out Zadie and Van Orden, who was a part of all those teams. And he didn't get to swim, but he, like I said, he was seated in the top eight uh, until the COVID shut down the meet. And we don't know how that would have played out, but I'm positive he was, well, he did medal because he was seated so high. And that puts us where we are today. Well, even, even prior to that, I just while we're, well, we still kind of have, have Zach in our mind. Um, I think that was one of my first big memories with the team was his, um, his performance at the state meet where he had, uh, this yeah with the 53 I mean that was just a, a remarkable with um, day in terms of what the duress he was under for those couple of days and and even I mean the amount of performances he had at, at the state meet level of competition could you could you kind of run us through that that whole thing well you go to the state meet hoping for your best performances although most kids don't get them there they get them at the district meet because you have to qualify to get out to the state meets probably do your best performances at the district meet to get you out so he starts off and he's in the medley relay and he goes uh, a time that was very good 24 six and the team qualifies for the night swim and made top eight he comes back in the 53 you know, minutes later, and he ties for eighth place. Because of that, he has to have a swim-off at the end of the session. Because eighth place and ninth place is the difference between finals and consolation finals. Right, so he's trying to get into the finals. So now that's the second event. Right after that, we have our 200 free relay, which was our best event, and we finished fifth. So that's his third swim. He... uh, has a chance now to uh, rest a little bit. Now he's got to get up in the blocks and swim at 53. 
doesn't he just get edged out and he doesn't make the finals, but he made the consolation finals. And the kid that edged him out only had a swim 51 other time yeah, before. Yeah, so that's his fourth swim of the day. Now, we get something to eat. We go back and rest a bit. Now we're back for the night session. Zach has to go medley relay, 50 free, and 200 free relay at night. Three more swims. Four in the morning, went three swims at night. All three of those swims were faster than what he did in the morning. <laughs> so he has seven swims in that day. Everyone was faster. Now he gets up the next morning. He's got to swim 100 back. He's pretty tired. Goes a lifetime best in the morning. Just misses the school record. Come back at night. Zach, you're just off the school record. Comes back at night. Breaks the school record, goes another personal best. And I think one thing that would be good for this show to talk about is when he swam, the, Zach was one of those swimmers who kind of killed himself in that first 50. And he, we had a little issue at the district meet. When the 50, he kind of passed out after his event. And I remember Coach talking to him actually after that meet and up at the state meet, he said about, he talking to Zach, hey, you need to control yourself in this in this first 50. And I think he really finally that clicked at the state meet because all before that, it never did. And I think that finally clicked in his prelims at the state meet. And I thought that was huge. And I think if it wasn't for that, I don't think he probably would have gotten that 100 back record, in my opinion, but just because of that. He, he knew what to do. We talked through it. And, uh, you know, hey. Yeah. I'll tell you what, now go back to another great swim. We'll talk about John's uh, freestyle uh, relay swim at Districts when we were AAA uh, senior year. It, you know, it's not easy to medal with those teams and us being a small and undermanned team. It comes down to the free relay, and it's our, our man on the end is John. He's our anchor, and he's going up against one of the best guys in the Lehigh Valley who swam for Nazareth High School. And coming into the uh, exchange between our third and fourth swimmer, which John was, it was neck and neck. And their stud is on the, in the lane right next to John. They get off the wall together. And in fact, John may have been just a hair behind. And John had to have the swim of his life. But we were able to sit down and talk and uh, we talked about ventilating early, getting a little more oxygen and swimming smooth. And he was as confident and as clear headed going in and he performed and he outdueled the kid. We get the medal. They don't. And John split under 48 seconds in that meet of all the swimmers in the 400 free relay. There were only two that were under 48. Oh. And John was one. I don't even know if I ever flat started in a 48. No, you were 40. You were 49, <laughs> four. And it was just, it was one of, I mean, there are a lot of moments I can yeah. look back on. I was just elated. And that was one of them. Yeah, I'm actually that looking at it right here. And he beat a kid from Nazareth. And they won by .03. Never a doubt. <laughs> Never a doubt. Three one hundred of a second. second. Yep, that's effort. Yeah, that's effort. That's, that's and that's those kids watch. from 
Nazareth, I don't know what they were thinking going in. I know we thought it was going to be a hell of a challenge, but they were just like their jaws were dropped. Like, I think because who's better than I guy in the end? Who's, who's better than him? Yeah, he was good too. Well, the kid from Pottsville, John Mantelavich was. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah, that was, that was, and showing up with the big boys in AAA it was yep. very, very satisfying. Yeah, it made it made for uh, it made for an interesting meet. Um, it made for an interesting career being with the AAA. I think what had happened with us moving from AA to AAA. I think another team that had done that with us that also moved AA to AAA in the same years was Hershey. Yeah. So we got to see Hershey's pretty dominant performances two years yeah. in a row at the state meet. Um, I mean, they had some pretty fantastic. I, I'm still convinced that it's just entirely their walls and their underwaters that that kind of got them to that point. I don't know what they're doing under that water, but whatever it is, it, it works. Yep, yeah, back to back years, they were they fall like he said they followed you up. They dominated in double A the year before they won the state meet by I believe it was over four hundred points. Like it was like six something to it was it was ridiculous. They were dueling with national records. Yeah, back in those years. Yeah, and. They broke six national records in one meet and his, his senior year. Yeah. They we won. got to see it. And we you guys got, got to see it. it. It's a very yeah. – that would have been – I would have loved to experience that. That would have been an awesome experience. So that, that – so that, like you said, that, so that brings us back up to today. Um, I didn't want to cut you off before, but I no. did – I know I wanted to talk about Zach's performance. I mean, Ruthless Performance Podcast. He is a Ruthless Performance athlete. He was training yeah. with us for two years at the time. So very good. give that kid a shout-out. but. Um, so, so up to today. So, well, today we're in the middle of a pandemic and everything that we knew and loved is crazy today. We, <laughs> we don't know. Hey, well, one thing is for certain and that's uncertainty. Okay. Yeah. Uh, you'd be ready to be flexible. We lost three and a half weeks of training, uh, right in the middle of the season. We had a late start in the fall. We were in and out of the pool in the uh, summer. We had no spring, and we're trying to manipulate things as we go. We hope. We just lost two more days last week of training, and we're trying to make the best of it. But, um, you know, there have been some casualties. Mentally, I I think the kids have been a little down, depressed. They don't seem the same. We to yesterday we were able for the first time this year to get back to what I would call a full normal practice in all the parameters that we look at. And today we had an optional workout that went very well. I actually saw some smiles that I haven't seen in a long time. And this is a big concern of mine. What's going on between the ears of our kids because of this pandemic but today there were some smiles and i and i and we're going to just try to build on that get the next five weeks in and then we're going to taper down and throw our sunday punch at everybody so that's where we are and it's it's refreshing to be with uh, you two fellas because you guys are in the history books of possible swimming you guys are huge uh, not only because of your performances, but what you brought to the table and, and as a good teammate 
and a leader and just being all around solid citizens that we're so very, very proud of. Uh, we teach more than swimming at Pottsville. We teach a lot of trivia questions, too, <laughs> yeah. and, yep. uh, but uh, we try to do things the right way. Right, right. Very unconventional, but very. Yes, we're unconventional. Works. That's um, it works. Guilty. If if Hold if on. any of those teams at the Lehigh Valley, if we told anybody in Lehigh Valley how successful we were with what we the kids we got, they they would they would be like, what the heck? Well, the the high intensity, low yardage training model is starting to come around, even even in the, the Lehigh Valley, is it not? Yes, it, it is. is. It is in certain programs. In certain programs, even go just kind of speaking to that. I mean, and this is something I'll I'll, I'll talk to you both about a little bit more off air. But uh, on record with uh, what you're saying about motivation and the kids kind of being down, I think it's it's almost worth it for me even before practice one of these next couple of days to kind of tell them from a scientific perspective why they are better off coming back after all this nonsense than some of these. Uh, conditioning-based teams where, yeah. you know, conditioning falls off fast, but when we're doing something that's more skill-oriented, the skill just kind of sticks with you regardless right. of how much you're in the pool. And I appreciate that. And I appreciate you two guys because here we are, former former great athletes coming back. And I guess tradition never graduates, right? Yeah. yeah. So... Yeah. Right. Well, I'm sure we'll be we'll be back with a with a round two at some point in the near future. But I think we covered a, a good amount of ground, and and we'll see where these next couple of weeks brings us, and kind of take it from there. Yes, sir. Yep. Thank you for having us, John. Oh, yes, sir. Thank you, John, and thank you, Josh, for not just this, but for all you do. I appreciate it. Thank and you, Coach. We're having fun. Yep. <laughs> all right. That's a wrap on today's episode. You can find more about the Human Advancement Podcast and Ruthless Performance on RuthlessPerformance.com. I specifically recommend that you head to our online education tab where you can learn more about self-improvement, the physiology of performance, practices for enhanced wellness, and more. You can view all podcast episodes directly on our website at podcast.ruthlessperformance.com. I also recommend that you follow us on both Instagram and Twitter with the handle at RuthlessPerform. If you have any questions for our monthly Q&A or wanted to learn more about training with Ruthless Performance, including information on our athlete development training, injury prevention and corrective exercise protocols, personal training, or for consults or assessments, you can get in touch with us online at ruthlessperformance.com contact or via email at info at ruthlessperformance.com. The human advancement theme was written by Bernie Wallace-Savage.